Morning, everyone. My name's Dan, and I'm the pastor here, and it's so wonderful to see you here today on Thanksgiving. So, uh, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And thanks, Canada, for teaching me, a miserable Brit, that it's okay to set a day aside a year to say thank you. So uh, this is something that I've learned since being here because we don't have Thanksgiving over in the UK. So thank you, Canada. So last week, we um, elbowed our way into the circle of disciples as Jesus said to them, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Last week, we learned to uh, engage in Jesus. Uh, let's just move on to the next slide, Dan. Last week, we uh, learned to engage uh, in Jesus' power and to retreat in Jesus' presence. And I said that really, that's what the Christian life is. It's a process, a series of engaging in his power, but then retreating in his presence. And you can't have one without the other. If you have one, uh, if you only have uh, engaging in his power, then you burn out. If you only retreat in his presence, then you rust out. But what Christ has called to called us to is to engage in his power, retreat in his presence. And I hope that... Um, that uh, that you have booked your at least three hours away with Christ to come away with him by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. That was my challenge. And my other challenge was I hope that you're waking up each morning and reminding yourself today I'm going to do life with Jesus and just see how that impacts all of the decisions which you make. Today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do life with Jesus Christ. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then on the way out you, you can grab yourself uh, one of the handouts from last week and uh, you can uh, find that challenge there. So today is Thanksgiving and we're going to start as we mean to go on. We're going to look at two accounts in the, in the Gospel of Mark where a group of people get together, they thank God for the food, they, and then they eat until they have to loosen their belts. All right? In the, actually, in the original Greek, if I'm honest, it doesn't say they had to loose, loosen their, their belts, but it does say in both accounts that they were satisfied. And I think that being satisfied in Greek after a meal translates to us having to cede at least one notch in our belt to that meal that is now inside of us. So I, I don't think I'm uh, inaccurate in saying this. And each of our passages today at first glance look very similar. And there's a reason why they look very similar, because they are very similar. The first is in Mark chapter 6. It's the feeding of the 5,000, so called because there were 5,000 men that were miraculously fed, plus women and children. And then the second takes place a couple of chapters later in Mark chapter 8, and it's known as the feeding of the 4,000 because 4,000 people were fed, men, women, and children, at this all-you-can-eat alfresco. And later on, we're going to have probably the feeding of the 11 at the Wallace household as Wendy's family come over for lunch. But each of these accounts share a lot of similar factors. So we're going to look at them um, side by side. Now, I'm going to refer to the feeding of the 5,000. It's a lot to say that, feeding of the 5,000. And uh, for a stutterer, I want, to get as, as, I want to get rid of as many extraneous words as I can. So we're going to call it the Alfresco 5,000. 
Alfresco meaning, of course, open air, uh, sort of like a picnic. But I wanted to call it picnic, but then I thought, I'm going to stutter over P. So it's not Picnic 5000, it's the Alfresco 5000. Uh, and then the feeding of the 4000 is going to be known as the Alfresco 4000. And the Alfresco 5000 takes place just after Jesus has crossed the lake, one of his many crossings back and forth, back and forth. That seems that's what we've been reading over through these first few chapters of Mark, Jesus crossing the, the, the lake. And so he crosses it, crosses the lake with his disciples, and he lands on the other side, um, in order to take them on a retreat, as we learned last week, they arrive on the shore and they see this crowd that's there that's followed them around the shore. And Jesus' instinctive response is to have compassion on them. And so he starts teaching them many things, as we read in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. So Alfresco 5000 takes place on the northwest, okay? So on the never eat shredded wheat. So on the northwest of the of the sea of the lake of the sea of galilee that's alfresco 5000 alfresco 4000 a couple of chapters later takes place on the southwest of the on the southwest shore so it's the northeast shore and the southwest shore they're, so they're two very different places this one takes place in the jewish area never eat shredded wheat northeast southwest Oh, thank you very much. Northeast and southwest. This is the... Oh, my goodness me. I had it so planned out. <laughs> so, this is the... <laughs> you know what? You know what? When... You know, I, I, you know, I think I just passed the Marlborough, and it says, please park on the west side, the east, whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know. I have no reference point. Say left or right of the road, I'm okay. But don't tell me north, north south, east, and west. Anyway... This one is in the Jewish area, and the other is in the Gentile area. That's what I'm trying to get at. So in the Alfresco 5000, you have the map in your mind. I'm not going to point at it again. <laughs> Jesus' followers come up to him, and they say to him, Look, it's late, and people are hungry. Okay, so his disciples see the need. And, and the disciples also have the solution. We see this in Mark chapter 6. Uh, send the people away so that they can go to nearby villages and get some food. Then Jesus responds to his disciples by telling them, you feed them. And then the disciples kind of look at each other. They shrug and they point out that to feed everyone would take one year's wages. Whereas at the Alfresco 4000, it's Jesus himself who says that people need something in their bellies. He's the one who realizes because they've been with him for three days. So if you think that sometimes my sermons drag on a little bit, they've been with Jesus without food for three days out in the desert. So they're getting hungry. And then in both alfrescos, the 5,000 and the 4,000, Jesus asks them, how much food do you already have? Um, in alfresco 5,000, 5, the first one, the disciples go and investigate. They find out how much food they have. Whereas in Alfresco 4,000, the disciples, if you look in chapter 8, the disciples already have the answer. They already know how much food is there. And what this means to me anyway is I think that, you know, we sometimes think of, of the disciples as being a bit slow. But here it shows that they're learning. 
okay? Because they're on the shore of a lake, they see this crowd of people, um, they think back to uh, Alfresco 5000, and then, and then they go and preemptively go and take inventory of how much food they have already there, just in case Jesus asks them for it. So the disciples are actually learning something. Yay, disciples, well done. Then, so in Alfresco 5000, the first one, they stock take and find out that they have five loaves and two fish, whereas in Alfresco 4000, they have seven loaves and a few fish. Um, five and two versus seven and a few. In Alfresco 5000 in Mark 6, we read in Mark 69, Mark 639, that Jesus directs everyone to sit down on the grass um, in, in groups, but it says to sit down on the green grass. And when I was reading that through, I thought, that's strange. Why does it say green grass? But I think this is great because I think that what Mark's doing is, is he's pointing us back to Psalm 23 where, where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, which I think is awesome because what this means is that Jesus is the good shepherd who's looking after his sheep, which for us is a wonderful, wonderful picture. In both alfrescos, Jesus takes the loaves and the fish, he blesses them, he gives thanks, and then he hands out the food. And, and what we find out is that there's enough food for everyone. From this five loaves and two fish or seven loaves and a few fish, there's enough food for everyone. And everyone eats, like I said at the beginning, until they were satisfied, until they had to loosen their belt just a little bit. Now, Alfresco 5000 tells us that, that 5,000 men were counted, which means that, men and, that mean, which means that women and children weren't. So if you add in the number of probable women and children, it could be over 10,000 people, 12,000 people, even as high as 15,000 people in that crowd. Whereas in the Alfresco 4000, what we're told is the complete number of the people there, those 4,000 people there. So 15,000 people against 4,000 people. So we're starting to see that these are similar accounts, but there are some key, key differences there. Then at the end of Alfresco 5000, there are 12 baskets left over, whereas at the end of Alfresco 4000, there are seven baskets left over. Okay, numbers flying around. Here's a bit of a summary. 5,000 men, five loaves and two fish, 12 baskets left over. That's the first account. 4,000 people, seven loaves and a few fish, and seven baskets left over. That's the second account. But something, when I was reading this, something really, really puzzled me. And it, and it is this, is that Mark has shown himself to be a concise writer. He wants only to give us, you know, the key things. And, and so we see Mark bouncing from one, one incident to another. He, he, he never seems to spend too long in one place. And throughout his account, he often uses the word immediately or suddenly to really give his writing a sense of purpose and momentum. You read through Mark 1 through 6, and you'll see time and time again that he says, immediately, suddenly. It's always exciting with Mark. We, we feel through Mark that we're kind of getting a whistle-stop tour of Jesus' ministry. But in this book of just 16 chapters, which is the shortest gospel out of all four of them, Mark takes the time to tell what seems pretty much to be the same account twice. I mean, couldn't he have used this space to tell some other miracle that has Nothing else like it. I mean, you know, if, if Jesus is, is the Son of God and he did all that he, he, um, 
that we read in the scriptures. And John says that, that there aren't enough pages in the Bible, uh, that there aren't enough pages in the world, enough books in the world to, to, uh, to hold all that Jesus did. Why did Mark tell the same thing more or less twice? And in fact, it's caused some people to say, well, is he actually telling the same account twice? Is this, is this just he's telling it and then he told it again, he got a few things wrong? But we do actually see in Mark 6 verse 19, um, Mark 8 verse 19, that these were two separate events because Jesus references each of them. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls? And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls? So Jesus understands these as being two separate incidents, and so I think we should too. But I think that the clue why there are two in the Gospel of Mark is this. Because one was for the Jews and one was for the Gentiles. And he made a miracle meal for the Jews and then he made a miracle meal for the Gentiles. And so, you know, the Jews would have already had, you know, the story of the manna. Um, you, know, you, you know, they would have known that God gives them what they need how special is it that, that even before the church was created, that Jesus did a miracle for the Gentiles as well as the Jews that looked just like the Jewish one and in fact in some ways surpassed it, which I will explain shortly. What Mark's showing us, I think, is that this kingdom that Jesus is establishing, that he's ushering in, is outgrowing its old skin, okay? In Mark chapter 2, verse 21, if you remember, we uh, heard about, Mark, uh, uh, about Jesus saying, you don't sew, an old, uh, sew a new patch on an old garment. He also talked about not pouring wine, new wine into an old wineskin. This is what we are seeing here, is that the new wineskin, the kingdom of the servant king, encompasses both Jews and the Gentiles, people from both sides of the lake, people from both sides of the track. And so I think that Mark found, thought that this was especially worth writing down because his audience, if you remember, were Roman Christians who were, who were being persecuted, who were going through incredibly hard times. And so they had to hear that the God of the Jews was also able to do miracles in their life. They, they need to know that this bread from heaven that nourished the Jews could also nourish them. The Roman Christians needed to know that Jesus was God, that he could do miracles just like the God of the Old Testament, just like Yahweh in the Hebrew Scriptures. And I think that in some ways we're also like the Roman Christians, right? We need to know that Jesus can take what little we have and that he can do miracles with it. Last week I mentioned in our church that, you know, in our service, that we're running a little low on uh, money in our church bank account. And so if you look at the bulletin, you will see that people have already started responding. Okay, and that for me is exciting because that shows me that we are a church that trusts that we can give our little expecting that God's going to do amazing things with it. You'll also notice that we now have a brand spanking new monitor slash TV out in the lobby because that request was made and someone anonymously responded, okay? So, so this is exciting me. Thanks for everyone who res 
responded, he takes our five loaves, he, he, he takes our two fish, and he multiplies it. You see, these, these, uh, the, the uh, owners of this food and these, and these picnics and these alfrescos could have held on to their lunches and said, well, it's mine. They could also have said, um, it's mine, so I'll eat it. I want to hold on to it. They could have said, look, I worked hard for this lunch. I hefted it all the way over here. You know, you know, I was the one thinking ahead. I was the one planning. All of you idiots, you didn't plan. I was the one planning. Why should I share my little so that you can have something? What if I have to go without lunch because I've just handed it away? But instead, they, they, they placed their trust in Jesus, and they handed it to him. And because of that act of faith, thousands of people were fed. It's a bit like... You know, the, the, um, f- the fairy story uh, known, known as Jack and the Beanstalk, where he exchanges a cow for a handful of beans, right? Uh, you know, and you think that's not a wise investment. Why would you exchange a cow for a, for a handful of beans that may or may not be magic? But those beans gave Jack riches beyond his wildest dreams. And it's the same with our time and with our finances. We can keep it and use it for us and it will feed us for one day. But when we allow God into our bank account, when we take our precious resources and we hand them over to him, miracles happen, needs are met, and the kingdom of the servant king is is established. A beanstalk stretches up to heaven and suddenly we're able to access and see the heart of God like we never were able to before. And that's why I love handing over my five loaves and my two fish each week. If we can move to the next slide, Anne. That's why I, I love handing over my five loaves and two fish each month, each week, because it's invested in something eternal, and it will multiply miraculously, and it will be used to bless many people, not just me and my own stomach, not just me and my own bank account. Now, now, prior to me moving on, I do want to draw our attention to something. It's something that I did not realize before studying this passage for our sermon today. It's something that almost made me stop as I was working there in Starbucks. It's almost made me stop and say, no way, because it kind of shocked me as I was reading it. And it was this writer called Michael Card who showed me this as I was reading his what he wrote about this passage. And as I read more and more into this, I see other commentators who say exactly the same thing. So I think that it's reasonable, and I think that, that, that it makes sense. Now, this is what I learned. At the end of Alfresco 5000, there were 12 baskets of leftovers which, which were gathered. At the end of Alfresco 4000, there were seven baskets of leftovers which were picked up. But actually, that's not what the original Greek says. What the original Greek says is that at the end of Alfresco 5000, 12 kofinos were picked up, which is a small lunchbox-sized thing. It's a container. It's a pail. It's small. It's a bucket. It fits your lunch in it. But at the end of Alfresco 4000, seven spirus were picked up. And these are large, man-sized baskets used for transporting fish. They may have looked a bit like a massive laundry basket. So 12 personal-sized lunchboxes and seven massive laundry baskets. 
And when we tie in both of the location and, and, and what you've just heard, I think that this is what we see. We see these 12 small lunchbox size of leftovers there in the Jewish area. And we see that, and what we see is that God provided exactly what was needed for the Jews. No more, no less, exactly what was needed. You know, you, you think about it. If you have um, 12 lunchboxes worth of leftovers from 15,000 people, that's pretty accurate. No more, no less, exactly what was needed. So what this shows the Jews is that Jesus is everything that you need. You, you need no more than Jesus. You need no less. He's exactly what you need. He fulfills the, the, the law and the prophets. He's the bread of life for them. The, the Jews don't need anything more than Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? And for us, what we can see from this miracle is that Jesus will meet our needs, which is why we can say, would you give us this day our daily bread? We can trust Jesus that just as he, he uh, created the perfect amount of food for alfresco, 5,000, just, just as he provided manna for the day there in the desert, so he will meet our daily needs absolutely perfectly. 12 lunch boxes of leftovers from 15,000 people. And interestingly, that was just enough, if you think about it, that, that each of the disciples would have enough for their next meal, right? They walk away with 12 lunch boxes of food, and there are 12 men there in Jesus' entourage. So it's just amazing. This, this really blows my, my mind that God's foreknowledge was so absolutely perfect. He will meet our needs. He, can meet, he won't meet our wants, but he will meet our needs. And our needs are met in, in Christ Jesus. That's what we learn from Alfresco 5000. But then in Alfresco 4000, we learn a completely different lesson. We learn the exuberant, hilarious, over-the-top sacrificial giving of God. We, we move from 15,000 being fed, 15,000 people being fed absolutely perfectly um, so that there's only 12 lunchboxes left to only 4,000 people being fed. And there were seven man-sized baskets of food left over laundry baskets full. And this word spirus, which talks about these massive uh, laundry baskets, is the same word that was used when Paul was dropped over that wall when he was trying to escape from people who were trying to kill him. So, so he, was, he was lowered down over the wall of a city so that he could escape. That was a spirus. So it was strong enough and large enough to hold a grown man being lowered down from a wall. That's what we see at the end of Alfresco 4000. So what is it we learn from Alfresco 4000? We learn that God gives, and he gives, and he gives again, that his grace is astounding, that his love is never-ending, that his mercy cannot be fully explored ever, that his love is, is never-ending, that his love is even reckless. And if you've ever been in love, then you know what this is like. You... There's nothing that you wouldn't do for that person. You write love letters. You say things you would never usually say, which if you were to read now, you would feel embarrassed about. Uh, you, you spend money like it's water. Um, that all these love signs are like exuberant and completely over the top. Like Tom Cruise, you want to jump on that couch and tell the world how much in love you are. My point is that we go over the top 
when we are in love. We say things that we would never usually say, and we do things that we would never usually do. And some of us are experiencing that feeling right now. Some of us, it's a bit of a more of a hazy memory somewhere there in the past. Now, if you can take that sentiment, that thought, and if you can imagine it instead, though, as a permanent state of being, and if you can imagine that feeling being stripped of its romantic silliness and instead being fueled by a perfect love, and, and this love is sacrificial, it's self, self-emptying, and if you can imagine that perfect love stripped of its silliness being multiplied by infinity lasting for eternity, then we're starting to get a little bit close to this exuberant, over-the-top love that God has for us that's represented by these seven man-sized baskets left at the end of Alfresco 4000. This is the extravagant love that we experience in Christ. It's a fire hydrant of love that's pointed at you. All you've got to do is open your mouth. All you've got to do is open your life And that's what we see in Alfresco 4000, an overwhelming surplus of wonder that's pointed towards us and is ours through Christ Jesus. This is the message of the cross, and this is the message of Alfresco 4000. Seven laundry baskets of leftovers. Seven is the number of fullness in the Bible representing the whole world. And so we have these 12 lunch boxes, you know, all the Jews. Jesus is enough for you. He's all that you need. He fulfills everything. And then we have these seven, this number of fullness representing the world of leftovers from Christ for the whole world, saying you can never outsin his love. He will always have more and more than enough mercy for you. It's amazing. So we ask ourselves: is God's provision for us in Christ Jesus? Is it sufficient? The answer is yes, it's perfect. It is just what you need. And is God superabundant in his mercy and his grace and his love in Christ Jesus? And the answer is yes, 1,000 times yes. He is sufficient. He's superabundant. He is the God both of the lunchbox and of the laundry basket. Now, I want to take us on a little bit further in our Mark 8 passage. Um, and it's important that we do because um, we learn something really key. Alfresco 4000 has just wrapped up, and the people are going home. They're full and they're satisfied, and they were probably overflowing with a spirit of thanksgiving. Not only have they been exposed to the greatest three day open air conference uh, taught by none other than Jesus himself, but they've also received bread and fish from heaven um, from Jesus' very own hands. And they've learned that Jesus can serve up a slap up meal along with the best of them. Verse 10, Mark 8, verse 10. Starting verse 9, about 4,000 people were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question him. To test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. So having, faced, having been faced with the superabundance of God, uh, Alfresco 4000, Jesus now faces off against the Pharisees. They ask for a sign from heaven in order to, to, you know, to really test him. 
now this isn't a miracle. This is what they want is a back signal. What they want is a back signal from heaven saying that Jesus is who he says he is. And what is Jesus' response? He sighs deeply. <sighs> We've all had those moments, right? You sigh deeply. There are no words. You just sigh. And then he says that, uh, that uh, you won't see anything. He then gets in the boat and he crosses over the, this lake. Now, why was Jesus so frustrated with them? It's because of their willful unbelief. They were so blind to what he was doing that they signed their own eternal death warrant. They were unable to change. And I preached about this on, on, on maybe July the 22nd, I think it was. So if you want to learn more about what willful unbelief looks like, listen to that because there are some strong warnings. But what I said then was, was this. What comes into our mind when we think about Jesus tells us way more about ourselves than it does about him. What, what comes into our mind when we think about Jesus tells us way more about ourselves than him. And that's what we see here with the Pharisees. Show us a sign from heaven, they say. And so Jesus sighs deeply, heartbroken at their wicked, sinful, prideful request. And he gets in the boat and he leaves. And, but this isn't something that just the Pharisees have to be careful of. It's also something that if you're a follower of Christ that you have to be careful of, that I as a follower of Christ that I have to be careful of too. Um, because, because we can easily slip into this mode of willful unbelief, of being faced with the goodness of God and saying, ah, 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 that's not enough. I want something else. I want something so clear that I don't have to have faith anymore. That's what we want, right? Something so clear that I no longer have to have faith. But that's not how Jesus operates. And so we have to do a bit of a heart check. Let's, let's move on to verse 14 of Mark 8. Uh, Mark 8 verse 14. This is hilarious. Okay, they've just had alfresco 4,000. They have seven man-sized basketfuls of a bread left over, verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat, verse 15. Jesus warned them, uh, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Then there in the boat, it says, they discussed this with one another and said, said is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, what are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied how many cofinos of pieces did you pick up 12 they replied and when i broke the seven loaves of the 4000 how many spirus how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up they answered seven he said to them do you still not understand so here's the scene the disciples have just left a place where they had seven massive baskets of leftovers and for whatever reason they just managed to bring one loaf with them and so perhaps Andrew thought that maybe Thaddeus was going to bring it or perhaps maybe John thought it was Peter's responsibility but whatever they end up in the boat they leave the shore find out that they just have one stupid little loaf with them 
And so they start squabbling and, you know, and they start fighting about whose fault it is and whose responsibility it was. After all, if, if there was only one loaf, then how was there going to be enough food to feed 12 of them? You can't feed 12 people with one loaf. What on earth are we going to do? And I think at this moment, Jesus, because he's the son of God and he has self-control, I think that he restrains himself from smacking their heads together because they are so stupid. And instead, he says to them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And what this means is that the Pharisees were so blind because of their lack of faith that nothing would convince them that Jesus was the miracle-working Messiah. And so Jesus looks at his thick followers, and he says, what have you just seen at the Alfresco 5000 that God is sufficient for us? He'll meet our needs perfectly. And what have you learned from Alfresco 4000? You've learned that God is super abundant in his generosity. And what have you learned that God can do with bread? Multiply it. Okay, good boys. And so he's saying to them, stop stressing over this single loaf. Don't let the, 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 the evil this yeast of, of lack of belief and this pride of the Pharisees sneak in and steal your joy. Instead, trust in me because I've never changed. And so, but I think that's like us. You know, we see God miraculously providing for us one week and then the very next week we're sweating with doubt and anxiety. How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it, Lord? And we doubt and we question and we stress. And this evil yeast of, of, of lack of belief threatens to work its way not only through our very beings, but through our household and through our church and through, and, and, and through our community. And the only thing that we can do to stop this yeast spreading is to remind ourselves of the goodness of God and resolutely choose to place our trust in him again. You know, sometimes we experience God as the God of, of sufficiency, that he gives us just enough that, that we're able to get by. Sometimes we experience God as the God of superabundance, that he, he overwhelms us by, meet, by meeting our needs over and above. But whatever need we're in, we can remember that Jesus will meet our needs, sometimes precisely, sometimes plentifully, but always absolutely perfectly because he is the God who provides. And also we have to watch out for the yeast of Herod, which means that instead of acting according to principles, like we heard a couple of weeks ago from Nathan, instead of acting according to principles, we start acting according to, to what's convenient, to expedience. We, we, we start letting others' words um, make us act in a certain way rather than getting back to the principles of the Bible. And if we walk that way, this warning of Herod is, if you're walking that way, if you're not living according to principles, then don't be surprised if someone's head ends up on a platter in the middle of your party, okay? It's a dangerous slope. And so the way that we resist this evil yeast of lack of belief is to trust in the God who multiplies the bread of blessing to us. So as we wrap up, 
as these disciples are there in this boat, they're learning a serious lesson. Even after seeing Jesus uh, bring bread from heaven twice in two different locations to, to these, you know, one to Jews and, and then the next to the Gentiles, they were tempted, even after seeing Jesus miraculously do something amazing, and meet their needs, they were tempted to return to their own resources once again, to work things out by themselves. That loaf of bread in that boat was no longer a loaf of bread. It was now something more. It was a crossroads. Would they trust the heart of their Savior to meet their need, or would they allow the the yeast of unbelief and practicality to make them take things into their own hands? Would they, be, would they use the, ex, ex, the excuse of being wise and sensible to mask a lack of faith? They had a loaf of bread in their hands. They could either give the loaf into the hands of one who fed 15,000 people with perfect precision and the one that, felt, that fed 4,000 people with exuberant over-the-topness. Or they could split the loaf among themselves and maybe get a bit of a morsel each. That was the choice. That was the crossroads in front of them. And so over this next year, I want to see Cornerstone really taking steps of faith so that we are a church that trusts God, this God that knows exactly what our needs are, and that he will, and that, that he will give to us according to his riches and not ours. I want to see more of us take this, this wonderful step of saying, God, here's the 100% of my money, which is your money. You know, the first, maybe 10%, that's yours. You know, without even thinking about it and just really trusting that he will meet all of the rest of our needs with the 90% left over. What I want is to see more of us inviting our friends so that they can hear the life-giving and bread-multiplying message of Christ, that God loves them so much that he gave his perfect son this bread from heaven so that as we believe in him, as they believe in him, they will not perish but will have everlasting life. I want to see more of us take this Sabbath living seriously so that uh, we will trust God that he will meet our needs even as we take one day a week to just rest in him instead of making money. We, we want to see 70% of our adults and teens in grow groups or small groups. We want to be growing in community and faith. One, one, one other thing that we want is we want to see 10 people coming to Christ through this next year. New, new spiritual siblings for us all. I, I want to have enough money in our bank account as a church that we can do what God is calling us to in the community. And, I, and like I said, I want to say once again, thanks to everyone who responded last week or is responding in faithfulness each week. We, we, we want to see us move from being a church of 125 people to a church of 150 people. We, because gro life is growth and growth is life. We, what I want is to see us as a church bringing our lunches to Christ and trusting him that, that he will do something with our meager offerings that will absolutely blow our minds. We, 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 we want to see a God that perfectly meets our needs with superabundance so that we can in turn bless those around us. And so when you are in need, let me just leave you with this. 
Remember that Jesus will meet your needs, sometimes precisely, sometimes plentifully, but always absolutely perfectly. And may, may Christ never say to us, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? May Christ never say to us, maybe you don't remember. Instead, may we be the ones who Christ looks at and says, those ones over there, they see. Those ones over there, they understand. Their hearts are soft. They hear the Spirit. They remember. Those over there, they really get it. Amen. Amen.